You're listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network on BingeMedia.net. And now, the Binge Aftertaste. I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all that bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. Gear up, bingers. It's time for the binge movie aftertaste. Fast and Furious Retrospective. Are you serious right now? Join Matt, Garrett, and Alex as they race through the entire franchise dedicated to fast cars and furious action. Stay the fuck out of my way. Where does each host come down on the series as a whole? Would you believe I knocked him out with my charm? You need that charming bitch. How has this franchise lasted this goddamn long? I need a refill. This is serious stuff. Will the hosts hate each other like The Rock and Vin Diesel by this retrospective's end? Sounds like a marriage. Yeah, but with cars, when you trade up, they don't take half your shit. Find out the answers to these questions and a whole lot more. All coming up, courtesy of Binge Media. Ow. I smell skanks. My accent's no accident. My track list has got classics. I'm radio. I'm Furious 7. Released April 3rd, 2015. Budget of between 190 to 250 million. With a box office gross of a measly $1.5 billion. Oh, yes. With a B. And this movie was directed by James Wan. I guess Dom and his crew dragged that safe all the way around the world to make $1.5 billion, boys. Oh, my God. That number is astronomical. At the time of its release, it was the fourth highest growth of all time. Think about that. A movie from a franchise that started as Point Break with Cars Mm -hmm. was one of the highest grossing films of all time. It was actually the second highest grossing weekend in movie history behind a movie that, Garrett, you and I have talked about, the last Harry Potter movie. Uh Oh, okay. So it was a big deal. But speaking of big deals, after four movies, Justin Lin was ready to bow out. He basically said, I looked into it, it was not because of Star Trek. It was just the burnout of finishing one movie because Universal really wanted to accelerate a sequel from six because of the of the tease that they had done at the end of six. Lynn just felt he couldn't finish post-production and jump right into another movie. So he kind of took himself off the table. If the movie was delayed, he probably would have stayed on. But the ironic thing is that the movie was delayed for tragic reasons. Lots and lots of reasons. And that's the weird thing, isn't it? You know, we'll talk about James Wan, but imagine this. You you get your biggest film that you've ever done. I mean, this is a movie that is out of this world when it comes to franchise. 1.5, but that's more than most superhero films, right? So knowing what he's going to deal with with Paul Walker and the, the two huge egos that were out of control on this set, 
a monster cast with a ton of other egos, not to mention just a mess of a story to pick up from last time. Mm-hmm. I did not envy what James Wan had to come to at all. This was such a task for him to do. And the fact that he was actually able to do it and have it come out and have people, for the most part, come out in the press and praise it as much as they did... It, it, that's pretty remarkable, and I give him a lot of credit for that. Especially the franchises that he was coming off of, too. I mean, he was coming off yeah. of Insidious. He had the start of the uh, Conjuring franchise. Go back to Death Sentence to more of his action fare. But in terms of scale, this is pretty huge. And like you said, Garrett, to come on to a project with a lot of the baggage that a director will have to deal with in terms of all those egos and whatnot is, uh, yeah, that's a daunting task. But, I mean, shit, the dude was up for it. So I commend I, I him was for a that. Fan. Yeah, I was a fan of the guy. I, he, was yeah. a member, mm-hmm. he was a member of uh, what was known as the Splat Pack way back in your 2000s. You know, people like Rob Zombie. Neil Marshall was also a part of that. Mm-hmm. I always respected what he did with Saw, and he's turned into quite a career. I love his aesthetic, and I mentioned last week that I was both excited and dreading what he was going to do with this coming up because, yes, I was a fan, but if you watch that first Saw movie, it contains perhaps the worst car chase in the history of Hollywood <laughs> car chases. I've, I've been on a lot of independent sets. I've been on a lot of independent films. And even with a $90,000 budget, we were able to do better car chases than what was in that movie. So the fact that they got him, I mean, this is going to sound more derogatory than what I mean to sound. But did they really just pick like the nearest Asian to come to this? Like, wow. what was his pitch? to get this you know what i'm saying what was his a headshot so i mean if you're thinking about it in those terms it's probably just a headshot (laughs) so i have an answer for that question that you posed and i'm starting to have second thoughts about our friendship considering how often you have perpetuated the asians all look alike (laughs) stereotype throughout this series So so James Wan is one of those directors I have always really liked, even though I don't care for the first Saw movie at all. His career is one of the most fascinating you will find in the history of Hollywood because Saw was made for no money. And it spawned, much like the first Fast and Furious, it spawned a franchise to where every Halloween was dominated by Saw. It was like clockwork. And then he made two movies that kind of bombed with Dead Silence and Death Sentence, the latter of which I love. I think Death Sentence is... I would say Death Sentence is the best unofficial Punisher movie ever made. Sure. In the same way that Drive Angry is the best Ghost Rider movie ever made. You know, I revisited Dead Silence this week. I really liked that movie. I know there's a ton of studio interference associated with it, and a ton of things happen that he really tries to denounce. But I, I love that film. Like, when he's at his best, his intensity and the way he shoots action, and we'll talk about how he shoots stuff in this movie, but the way he shoots stuff, it can really draw you in. And yeah, yeah Death Sentence I haven't seen probably since it was out. I did meet James Wan when he was uh, at Comic-Con, the first Comic-Con I ever went to, and he was um, he a was very nice promoting. guy. A extremely nice guy. And, you know, he's on my Facebook as well, and I see his posts and stuff every once in a while. He's just a super, super nice mm-hmm. a guy you want to root for. Absolutely. Um, what he brings to these, like I said, it must have been some kind of something he brought to his pitch because the exception of Death Sentence, there's no real thing that I see in his resume that says, yeah, he'd make a great director. Of yeah, that would connect it to it, too. Yeah. yeah. It was his own personal drive, and I use that term in a unpunny sort of way because well, your your puns is... so far have been out of this world. I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, save the out of this world ship. <laughs> uh, but but I was I was gonna say that he has always wanted to make big budget action movies. He didn't necessarily want to pigeonhole himself into a horror box, but when Insidious and The Conjuring make money over fist, yeah, and revitalizes your career, that buys you enough clout. And I wonder if this is conjecture on my part. 
if he got Furious 7 with the understanding that he would agree to direct The Conjuring 2. Because this was also Universal, and New Line was bought out by Warner Brothers. Hmm. Oh, that's right. So I wonder if there was some kind of an agreement. But yeah, it was kind of surprising when I read that. I'm like, oh, really? The the guy from Saw and Insidious is making Fast and Furious? But this all goes full circle, because I'm going to pose a question to you guys. What is the central conceit of the first Saw movie? Well, let me answer that real quick. Just to go back a little bit, as far as his directorial stuff concerning Insidious and The Conjuring, I liked what he did. I mean, he kind of changed things in those two sequels, which to me tells me, it just tells me that he grows as a filmmaker. The other thing is, maybe not so interesting factoid, I've never seen a single Saw movie. Oh, boy. So I am not. Perspective (laughs) time. No, fuck that. (laughs) I am okay going with the rest of my life with never seeing a Saw movie. But you know, it's it's a you know well storied franchise. It's it's gone on for a while. It's gone through a bunch of iterations with different directors and everything. So yeah, I, I in terms of Saw, I can't really speak on on anything as far as that goes. So Garrett, what's the central <laughs> conceit? This is got a dodge white question. Garrett, what's the central conceit of the first song? You, you got me. I don't know. What is it? All right. So it's basically Carrie Elways and Lee Winnell. They have their foot tied to. It's in like a metal cuff, and they got to saw it off with a hacksaw. So that comes from the greatest car exploitation franchise of all time. I call Fast and Furious the second one. The first one is Mad Max. If you recall, oh. at the end of the first Mad Max movie, he ties Toe Cutter's leg to the exhaust pipe and says, you got to saw your way out. So it's kind of ironic that James Wan is taking over Fast and Furious, That's funny. which is sort of like Mad Max and that it's, it's pure car exploitation at this point. But I've liked a, a lot of his stuff. I never would have thought James Wan would do Aquaman, let alone after this. But I think mm-hmm. he's got a new horror movie coming out this year. It's entirely original. We know next to nothing about it. So I'm excited to see it. But for all the, the hoops that got thrown at this guy, Garrett, most of which you mentioned, but the Paul Walker death was definitely the biggest. That was the biggest one. And that was November of 2013. Universal then announced that there would be a delay. Production was put on hold. Juan said, no, the movie didn't get canceled. We got to work some things out. Diesel said, we're going to punt it a year. So it was going to be released in April of 2015. Now, Hmm. Walker did not finish filming. And what they did was they brought in Weta Digital, which is Peter Jackson's visual effects house slash Andy Serkis. And they utilized footage of Walker that was already existing. And they brought in his brothers to be stand-ins. And then they would digitally impose Paul Walker's face on them at certain points. Apparently, there's about 350 visual effects shots in this movie where 80% of them use a CG face and 90% of them are actual, like, stuff he shot. So if you do the math, about 80% of his scenes, he did not get to film. Yeah, it kind of tells in some spots, too. Take, Take away the ending, but there is definitely moments in the film that you can tell. Yeah, and a lot of times he's in the shadows too. Yep. And so mm-hmm. they do a good job of masking it, and blocking part, it, but... and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Block, yeah, you can tell, but you know what? When you're if you're involved in the story, you don't really think about sure. it that yeah. much. Mm-hmm. Let me impose a question on you guys because you mentioned Matt that this thing just made so much fucking money. How much of this money that this movie has made? And I understand the franchise is very well established. The last one made seven hundred something million dollars. How much of this was like morbid curiosity from people to see how they would handle this? Because I, I gotta admit, I was one of those people. Yes, I was a fan of James Wan, and I wanted to see it for that reason. But there was also a part of me that was like, how would they handle this death? How many people were like me and mm-hmm. came in wondering what they were going to do with it, even if they weren't fans of franchise? Yeah, I'll, I'll just say as a fan of the franchise, I was going into this 
still with that similar thought of, I got to see how they pull this off. Because it, like you said, Matt, as far as I knew going into the film was that Paul Walker did not film a lot of that movie at all. I mean, he just didn't have a lot of screen time before he passed. So I was yeah. definitely, I don't know if it's morbid curiosity. I just wanted to see how they pulled that off. Yeah, I definitely, I think it was a factor in the same way that Heath Ledger's passing affected The Dark Knight just because even more so in 2015, this was a story. And, you know, as we talked about in the first movie, the tragic irony of him having a PSA about safe driving. This was the first big movie of the summer. This really kicked it off. Summer movie season now begins in April. Thanks a lot, Hollywood. But let's not forget, this was a banner summer. You had this, Mm -hmm. you had Age of Ultron, you had Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. You had Mission Impossible 5. You had Jurassic World. You had Terminator Genesis. It was the oh, war shit. of franchises. A lo- mm. a, and ironically, a lot of them fifth installments. And oh, Garrett, wow. I'm pretty sure we've covered 80% of the movies that I just listed. <laughs> <laughs> and if we haven't, we're going to we're going to next year probably. Yeah. And also, you know, just the last one made a lot of money, but I don't think anybody expected this. I certainly Yeah, yeah and you know, as we've seen over the films, they progressively taken more box office receipts so i don't know if it would have made a billion and a half dollars worldwide but it definitely i I think it would have been pretty close and it's worth mentioning too that they'd never reach this plateau again yeah we still have more movies coming out and there's one Mm -hmm. that we'll be talking about to cultivate this retrospective but they never reached this which is why the question came to mind how much of this was people actually want to see Paul Walker on screen for the very last time? And, you know, I, before we get into the breaking down the, the actual story and everything, there's a lot of talk in this film about taking things too far, things being dangerous, people dying. And oh, yeah. it seems very, very fucking strange that they would keep that kind of stuff in. Yeah, it really seems like there's a Grim Reaper hovering over this production, doesn't it? That, yeah, man. At one point where Brian's like, no more funerals. Well, maybe one. It's like... Oh, like yeah, that line like, really, really was like, what? That's what I'm talking fuck? about. It's like, come yeah. on. Somebody should well, have just gone over it the, again. Well, I don't know. Just the very premise of this movie, it's about going on a mission because one of your family died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the very premise gives the movie this almost foreboding sense. But Absolutely. Let's talk about whether it works for the movie because I know, Garrett, you fucking hated the last movie and oh I, I was mixed on it. Alex was kind of mixed on it, too. I would rather see Diarrhea Harden on a cold winter day than watch that sixth one ever again. So let's never talk about that movie again, shall we? Well, my big question before we talk about the movie was, I was wondering if this was going to be the last movie. I had very serious conversations in my head, especially with, regardless of whether or not what was going to happen with Brian, if it would give pause to Vin Diesel and company saying, like, you know what? we can make this the last one because there's a, there, there are a lot of components in this movie that deal with finality and sort of tying up loose ends and bringing things mm-hmm. full circle, much like a tire taking things full circle. Um, <laughs> okay. That, was a, bit of a, that with... was a bit of a reach there, man. That was a bit of a... <laughs> I will not. <laughs> so, right, been... my, my clutch locked up. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You've been killing it so far, but I just had to yeah. go. You know, for that one. All right. Well, speaking of following things up, the movie opens with what you think is voiceover from mm-hmm. Deckard Shaw, but it turns out, nope, he's actually in person. And somehow Owen Shaw didn't fucking die when he oh. fell out of the anger. He's just oh in a coma. Oh. Like, I, I, I guarantee you that Netflix movie Project Power, where people take pills and get superpowers, mm-hmm. 
this takes place in that universe. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Deadpool in this fucking. He really does. <laughs> <laughs> he's basically, oh, you know, he's saying that you know when we were kids, I'd have to break up the fights that you got yourself into. So I'm gonna go settle one last score. And we cut to this is the James Wan aesthetic because this movie opens up like a slasher movie where dozens of people are just fucking dead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of a great reveal. Once uh, Shaw starts walking out of the hospital room, camera pans over. You can see that there has been two hospital staff in the room the entire time. And I'm a fan of this opening. Like, he just apparently just wrecked the entire hospital. He got the SWAT team there and everything, and it's no big deal for Deckard Shaw. But I have a major problem with this movie, and its name is Jason Statham. I have a big problem with him as the quote-unquote villain of this film. I don't think he does anything in this movie worth even mentioning. I think I really think he just hovers over this production, and they just find ways to try to interject him in, but there's nowhere to really put him. Mm-hmm. And so he weighs this production down to me. I think he was just one too many. They they teased it in the last film, and you had to follow through with it. And plus, I just have a problem with Jason Statham in general. Hmm. I think he does belong in this, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, because yeah. It's... He's a bona fide super villain in this movie. Like he he is a James Bond villain. He's an agent of chaos to me in this. And yeah, uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I got to disagree, Garrett. I I love huh. Statham in this. I will agree that the problem with this film is that there are far too many characters. There are so many fucking characters, and we said that about the last film. I wish they gave more to Statham to his character outside of just a revenge agent of chaos thing. But what we get, I kind of like that because he kind of foils the plans from both sides. I don't need a lengthy backstory with this character, especially in, in these movies of all things. The villains ultimately don't matter that much. They're just obstacles. If these are video games, he's the final boss, basically. At least the villains have steadily... The threat level has increased with every subsequent movie. This is the Texas Orderly Massacre, basically. But speaking <laughs> of, you know, transitions, we cut to Dom and Letty. They have not dropped the amnesia storyline. She is not 100% at the start of this movie. So at least they're keeping consistent with that. And she didn't magically regain her full consciousness in between movies. But speaking of bringing shit full circle. I would not circle, have if they had. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing, Karen. <laughs> I would not have cared if they yeah, had. Right. This is what I'm talking about with James Wan, where he had to inherit this bullshit story from last time. Yeah. I would not have cared if they somehow like just said, oh, over the course of time, she regained her memory. Yeah, they They're just... still going through with this. And they, yeah, they will solve it by the end of this movie, and we'll talk about how they end up solving it. But it's just like, God, we yeah, have they to just keep dragging this out. Dragging it out, and not only that, but digging their heels in more. Yes. Dom's telling her, we're going somewhere we used to kick ass, Race Wars. So, again, they've had two chances to fix that fucking title. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, we're at a... I did a head spin when I saw that. The world's at a different place in 2015 than it was in, uh, was it 2000 or 99? 2001, yeah. Yeah, 2001 when the first one came out. So I can forgive the first one, but by 2015, you don't realize that this is... (laughs) A bad name for a race competition? Come on. It's like, I get it, and we don't know what ethnicity Vin Diesel is, so I guess it's okay if he says it. I think his uh, ethnicity is daddy. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. Beige? I don't know. <laughs> well, this is the guy who, when this movie was coming out, was guaranteeing that this movie would win an Oscar, if you seem to remember. This Vin Diesel. Oh, Every time right. I hear stuff oh, about this right. guy, I, it just it, it drives me so fucking nuts. And Alex, <laughs> Alex texts us, Something that he has, 
<laughs> God, he just he's the fucking worst. That was on purpose, oh. right? So I'll just say for, for the listeners, really quick, this is not a spoiler alert or whatever. At some point, a character says that she's missing a shoe. She's coming out of just being knocked out and everything. She's like, you know, what happened to my shoe? And you get a view from the sole of the boot, and one of, it says diesel on it. And I'm like, that's not a fucking accident. That is not an accident. It can't be. Well, the- let's not forget, Vin Diesel is a producer on this one. Yeah, he is. I don't know if this is the first one he produced. It's not. I just looked. Uh, the first one he produced was number five. Actually, no, it goes all the way back to four. So mm. pretty much since the since they rebooted, quote unquote, he's produced all of these. Oh, yeah, but that was part of that. This year. is the one where his oversight feels the most blatant, considering his biggest rival is hardly in the movie. Yeah, because mm. four was that universal deal, right? With the yeah. Chronicles yeah. of Riddick and everything. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. So we got a nice callback to, because let's not forget their street racers, and we got a reappearance of Hector, who we have not seen since the yeah. first movie. So this Love is Hector. exactly what I'm talking about, where it feels like finality and that we're going to tie everything together. Every movie is going to get a shout out. Mm-hmm. It doesn't piss me off in the way that they did in six, where they felt really proud of tying everything together. Here, it feels <laughs> like Juan is, because he's an outsider, this is his first one. Sure. It feels doesn't feel as invasive because he's coming what, at it from a, a new perspective. I mm-hmm. tell you what, though, man. Juan definitely went to the school of shooting as many asses and booty shorts as possible. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. insane. I mean, he doubled what Justin Lin would do in these scenes. And he's like, oh, you think they're difficult to shoot? Watch me shoot this uncannily. <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. I know. it. <laughs> <laughs> the way he just 10Xs everything yeah. is, is yeah. just amazing. And the whole booty shorts thing and showing the girls' yep. asses and stuff like that. Yeah. The guy knows the audience, I guess, yeah. that is going to be brought in for this franch- for this uh, iteration. He knows what people are here for. I was expecting a more blatant tonal shift and direction change. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel really egregious as far as the jump from Lin to Juan. But there, not in a way where this feels workmanlike, you know? Because we see, like, in the Marvel movies, when they change up directors, going from, like, Shane Black to Alan Taylor, where one guy is nothing but style, and the other guy has no aesthetic whatsoever. I like when directors can make their own flourishes. And there are some, some James Wan touches that he's done in a lot of his other movies that are in this one. Yeah, and I don't completely like everything that he does visually in this film. First of all, the guy can't just keep the fucking camera steady. No. There are multiple scenes, and they're just dialogue scenes, where the camera is constantly sweeping back and forth. Characters are are having a phone conversation. When they cut back and forth, the camera is sweeping one way, and then they go to the the other side of the conversation, and it's sweeping the other way. It's so disorienting, and and I don't get nauseous or anything like that during fucking films or anything, but I'm like, this feels fucking weird. Like, I feel dizzy. What the fuck is going on? There's no reason for this, other than he he, he just can't keep the fucking camera steady. He does another trick, too, like during fight scenes, where he keeps the camera on someone's face as they're flipping through a table. It's like a road rotating camera and he does it in a lot of his productions i wasn't that distracted by the directing style i mm-hmm. honestly the only reason i knew what he was doing is because i've seen a saw film sure. you know like I, I know exactly his style and i know his frantic pace and i know the intensity that he shoots with it wasn't that distracting to me mm-hmm. but i could definitely tell it was a james wan film yeah yeah, there's also a, a, a very particular shot that he loves in this film because he does it at least a handful of times. It's where a we're seeing a character in frame, they get hit or a car gets smashed into, and then there's like a 90 degree topple over 
where the camera just tilts 90 degrees to the left or the right. Yeah. And it hits the ground. You know what I'm – does that make sense? Yeah. Or, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I know exactly what you're Yeah, about. he definitely loves that shot during this entire film. You know who's not adjusting well? Brian. Because the next scene is his reintroduction where they cut to a shot of him in the car, puts it in drive – and they cut to him driving a minivan that skirts back like five feet. He is suburban bride in this movie. Can I um, say he, I really liked it though? Oh, the, the, I think this is the. I, I know it's tough just given the what they had to work with, but mm-hmm. I think everything they do with Brian in this movie, it's effective and surprisingly classy. Especially Agreed. when I, yeah. I agree. God forbid they do a human story that makes sense, and it took something catastrophic like what happened to Paul Walker to do what they do here. I'm pretty sure this was rewrites, but I like what they do with his character here. I like that he can adjust to this. Now, they do a lot of things with him. They kind of, as Alex would say, Anakin him up, you know, where it doesn't take much convincing for him to go back to the lifestyle. Yeah. But him kind of struggling with being a suburban dad, I kind of dug that storyline. You know, and he, who's, this, who's this chick who's uh, coming out to him? I'm like, is he going to cheat on uh, Mia with this girl? No, she's just there to pick up the kid, but. I don't know. No, I he's I not. Story, no, he's not stupid story. enough to do that. Daddy Dom yeah. would break his. Neck oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. This story, this story was very endearing, though. I agree with you, Matt. It was very classy the way they handled this. On, on the one hand, yeah, I do like it for those reasons. On the other hand, he goes, "Oh man, I got to get used to this." Your kid is four. Your kid's four <laughs> years old. That's true. If you're not used to it by then, I don't know if you're ever going to get used to it. Come on. That's a good point. But uh, <laughs> actually, you know, the, I will say I did laugh a lot during this, and I think I was meant to. There are a couple of funny gags throughout this film that I kind of fell for, and this is one of them where he's <laughs> he's like shifting and he's trying to figure it out, and yeah. then the wide shot of him in the minivan. Kind of like it. Yeah. I like yeah. that gag. I did too. <laughs> Because he's still dressed like a street racer, like wearing the van. He's wearing the vans. It's a very nice setup. What doesn't work is when the next scene they cut to Letty staring at her own grave, and we get this is literally a soapbox opera between these two, where she's like, "I can't be with you because I, I don't know who I am," and she's acting. She's like, "Then do something," and he just gives her this like blank, constipated look every time they share a scene together because that's all he knows how to fucking do. His dramatic style is baffling some of the acting choices he makes in this movie are so weird your uh, observation of him being constipated is exactly the what i have in my notes matt like every single time he has to do something dramatic he looks constipated that's his place to go and i don't know if he wasn't feeling good during this production but like some things in this movie was pretty distracting i guess he couldn't smell what the rock was cooking speaking of which mm. we cut to a reintroduction of hobbs who's still working at the dss we see elena from the previous couple of movies, she's still working with him. Steps out, wishes her well, gives her a letter of endorsement, and he gets back. Shaw has snuck in, hijacks his computer, says, I'm here for the people who took out my brother. And here's where the timeline sort of gets confirmed in that what we saw at the end of 6, the Tokyo Drift scene where he kills Han, has just happened. So, yes. like, this is bringing it full circle. Like, he's back now, and these two guys beat the living shit out of each other. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, they do. Can I also say, though, they also fixed the problem a bit. Well, one of the many problems I had last week. Uh, they fixed the rock in this. I love him in this movie. He doesn't have too much screen time in this. And I know it's that was right. due to scheduling issues. But every time he's on screen, I'm I'm happy. Yeah, this fight is pretty glorious. And like I mentioned without uh, when I like I mentioned earlier, they do that scene where he James Wan puts that camera on him as he's falling and stuff. It's pretty good stuff. I, I like this fight scene quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the fight scene, too. I, I really like the setup. I like the way they characterize Shaw. Again, I, I'm, I'm categorizing him as like the agent of chaos. So when Hobbs 
comes up, he's like, you're not the IT guy. And he put, it, Shaw just puts up his one finger and Hobbs is like, oh, okay, you mm-hmm. motherfucker. <laughs> you know, nobody <laughs> yeah. does that to me. Like, I just love that real subtle back and forth. And yeah, they just get after it and start beating the shit out of each other. The one thing I really love about this reintroduction of Hobbs in this is his captured stamp. And it, it seems like he's just going through a whole file of people that he's captured. I mean, how big is that stamp? I mean, it's fucking amazing. <laughs> so speaking of big, I, I have two comments. One, he has not yet killed Han, if you notice, because he pulled his file to know that he's in Tokyo. Right. So this mm-hmm. technically takes place before Tokyo Drift, which is cool. And speaking of cool, Garrett, The Rock has been making movies for 15 years at this point. And he finally gave someone the rock bottom. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty it's great. It's hard not to catch it if you're a fan. But it right. took 15. Yeah, that was, that was cool to see. All it took was, and, and it helps that, you know, Jason Statham legitimately knows how to choreograph his own fights. So you really don't have to bring in a stunt double. Obviously, The Rock is a pro wrestler, knows how to choreograph and still make it look good. Mm-hmm. Didn't he do it in the rundown, too? I seem to kind of remember. Probably. It's been a while since yeah. I really watched that. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it. I, I think yeah, I, well, I it, it's big, funny watching the rundown off. compared to this. He's like tiny in the rundown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I seem to remember there being a big, kind of a big hoopla over him doing it in that. But yeah, it was cool seeing him in this, though. I did kind of, to use another wrestling term, pop when I saw that. Yeah, and, and uh, yes. to mention, to, something you mentioned, Garrett, about The Rock being, you know, not having a lot of screen time in this one. I don't know how much of it is a script in combination with Juan directing. They give him just the right amount of dialogue, and it's fucking great. He has some of the greatest lines in this fucking film. He probably has the best lines in this film. He he only shows up a few times, but he just fucking nails it. He has a few really good moments. And plus, I like his daughter, too. We didn't even know he had a daughter. I like her sass. Oh, my daddy said he kicked your ass. And it, mm-hmm. he's, he's such an enlightening moment in this film. Yeah. And I, yeah. I missed that last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at yeah, six, he's in it too much. And he's basically just Dom's bitch. Yeah. Just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of life's a bitch, Shaw drops a grenade. Hobbs and Elena get blasted onto a car like Dark Knight style when mm-hmm. Batman mm-hmm. tries to save Rachel. Yeah. Uh, and this is enough not to kill The Rock, but at least he breaks his arm and he's going to be out of commission for a while. So much so that he doesn't join the team on their actual mission, which is smart. Obviously, The Rock was he had scheduling conflicts with Hercules because remember when he thought he was going to resurrect that franchise? And yeah. I guess not all, not everything The Rock touches turns to gold, apparently. But you know what? I'll go ahead and say, you know, I had a big problem last week. Oh, they're saving each other by falling on cars. Here, he falls on a car. I'm like, oh, here we go again. But he had a consequence for it. Yeah, he only ended up breaking his arm. But still, it was like, ah, there's something that happens when you fall on it besides it breaking your fall. (laughs) Yeah. The things that this franchise chooses to, in terms of the continuity, bring Elena back. We don't need to fucking bring Elena back. But we do. And then you give the audience a chance to poke holes through it and go, well, she left her previous job for apparently the biggest criminal in the world. And then, ah, she just gets her job back after he finds his one true love again, who had amnesia. She, she just gets she just gets her job back with the DSS. No big deal. Yeah, this Elena character has just been through the rudder. Like, you, you know they regretted coming up with this character when they had yeah, to keep it's, writing Yeah, it's like enough already. Just, yeah. just stop. She was yeah. barely in the sixth one. Yeah. And they just bring her back for a couple of scenes here. It's fucking stupid. Yeah. We do have a director with a style and everything, but we also have Chris Morgan back as a script writer. And <laughs> this is the shit that you have as a result of that. Good point. Next scene is gangs all together, at least the family. It's Dom, it's Mia, it's Brian. They're at Dom's house. 
gets a package that he thinks is from Han. He gets a phone call where this is where we get the post credit scene from Six, where it's the, you know, Dom, you don't know me, you're about to, and he blows his house to smithereens. Thankfully, nobody's hurt. Miraculously, nobody's killed. But we get the full extent of Vin Diesel's acting range in this movie. It is the over-the-shoulder look staring at the camera. Mm-hmm. Going back to that blast, what was in that fucking box to have it blast the house from the inside out from sitting on out on the outside of it? Yeah. Like, what? Is that house made of balsa wood? <laughs> yeah, How right? is it that that house went that far? I think it, out I, I'm pretty sure that Dominus crew kept NOS canisters underneath the floorboards. <laughs> Good point. All right. Just ignited from contact. <laughs> So Dom's like, I gotta find out what happened. So he goes to the hospital and Hobbs is in, you know, he's got his arm all casted up. And as Garrett mentioned, his daughter's there. And they're kind of chit-chatting where he's like, all those years of government service and they give you Jello and a shitty TV show. And they cut to the Lou Ferrigno Hulk on the TV, which, which I have a soft spot for. Yeah, me too. I have a real soft spot for it as well. Interesting thing about the scene in the hospital. We've kind of glanced over the fact when talking about, obviously, the death associated with this film, but... This was also when the animosity between Rock and Diesel was at its peak, right? Right around this time. More so the next one, but you could start to, you started hearing the rumors. So it's distracting when you watch this scene because they are never in the same shot together. It's always a one shot, one shot, one shot. Yeah. There's emotion associated with something that Dom says, and then you don't see them together and they separate. So I definitely kind of felt that in watching this scene. This where, you know, Hobbs gets the great line, I'm going to put a her on him so bad his mama's going to wish he kept her legs closed. God, such a good line. <laughs> great line. Like, and this is where I get the sense that The Rock is improving a lot of this because, you know, uh-huh. he, as a wrestler doing promos, he, he'd say stuff like this on the fly all the time. Mm-hmm. But he tells him, you know, don't miss. That's the next thing. So once he's done with Hobbs, we get one of several phone conversations, as, as Alex mentioned, with Mia. She's saying basically because her and Jack are with a friend of this fortress, basically. It's like fucking tony montana's house oh god i fucking hate it it's so stupid i'm like what who is this fucking guy exactly because i thought that like at first i thought it was the missionary outpost that they were at at the beginning of six. Oh but yeah yeah but it's not though huh no because it's guarded and there's people with firearms it's pulling a... it so it's... yeah it's like we gotta get jack and me and me to get to a safe place and now this kid's gonna grow up with people walking around his house with fucking automatic machine guns and everything that's not traumatizing either. Yeah, it's like, I'm not traumatized at all. Our house just blew up too. So. Our house yeah. blew up, but then we flew to some island where a bunch of uh, grown men with uh, machine guns were walking around all the time, taking me to fucking <laughs> swimming classes. What? Yeah. You know, if this series keeps going, he's going to be like the next generation of Toretto oh, yeah. slash O'Connor's. Like, he, you know, if Paul Walker was still with us, he would be the Wesley Crusher of this crew oh, like 10 I years ki- down the line. Oh, this is amazing. I can kind of see, remember um, in the old Conan comic books where he's like an old man, like how, how Dom is going to be. Dom's going to be like old Conan, the barbarian. There you go. All bearded. Yeah, and all old and Time travel is going to be a thing in this series. I'm telling you right now, there's going to be time travel. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I just, I don't want to timestamp this too much, but uh, on a recent binge cast, somebody asked about a crossover between the Fast and Furious franchise and Jurassic World. And I was like, oh, okay, I can't. I guess I can kind of see it, but I can see this franchise going into space more than I can see it going into a Jurassic World type of situation. But I digress. 
Speaking of digressions, Dom says, I got to go to Tokyo to pick up Han's things. And we get the last scene of Tokyo Drift where it's Bow Wow. It's literally the exact scene from That's Tokyo awesome. Drift. Awesome. It's cut down a bit. And you could tell because apparently at the end of that race, Lucas Black was touched by the angel of death at age 20 years yes. in the span yeah. of yeah. five no minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was cool seeing him, though. I was happy to see him. This scene didn't really resonate with me the first time I watched this movie. I was just like, oh, there's the guys from the third film. But now I'm watching it with eyes that, you know, where I'm watching it with you guys. And I'm mm-hmm. looking and I'm like, oh, shit. It was kind of cool to see that crew again. I kind of dug it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've ripped this franchise for having the need for continuity, especially with the timeline being completely useless. I kind of like this, though. I kind of like yeah. it. Yeah, it was it's, it's not bad. It, it was it, it, it was definitely needed, and it just goes to show if you race Don Toretto and lose, you will fucking age, <laughs> fucking fifteen years, and lose your hair because Paul Walker hair. lost his exactly. hair. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> I guess they just go so fast; all the hair goes out. You fucking age. I don't know what's going on. But I, I sat there when when he showed up and he's talking to him, saying like, "I heard he was fast. I didn't know he was that fast." I was like, "Oh fuck! Please don't make him part of the crew in this one." Too. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, he's only there. Thankfully, he's only here. This one scene gives him the bag that has the necklace in it and all the other stuff that was there. And once yep. again, mm-hmm. Finn Diesel with his brilliant acting choices saying, what I'm about to do, words could not even describe. I'm like, that makes sense because you probably couldn't pronounce what you're about to do, Mr. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's that's a difference, right? And I think that's part of the rivalry between Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson is that Dwayne Johnson is just fucking natural. The dude is so charismatic and being from a family of wrestlers and being able to cut promos and think of things fucking on the spot and what and whatnot, Vin Diesel cannot do that. I mean, this shit is written for him and he's reading it as if he was just reading it for the first time and doesn't understand English. He's like, I think it says this. Yeah. And so we mentioned sort of the maudlin circumstances surrounding this movie. This funeral for Han and unofficially Giselle, she just gets a picture when Tyrese. (laughs) Roman's actually serious in this scene where he's like, please don't make me have any more funerals. But yeah, you know, and everyone's there. Like Tej is there. Roman's there. I I like how the movie, it's funny up to this point, but it's serious in a way where it doesn't feel like terror. No, no. They've gone high on the comedy for the last few films and this one's more maudlin it's more um i don't want to say downtrodden because mm. it definitely still has a fun feel to it but you're not laughing as much and i think again it, it surrounds the circumstances of how they made this film so you know i, I remember even uh Ludacris and tyrese gibson they were out doing the press circuit they're like we kind of don't want to do this because we feel like we're kind of disrespecting what paul walker brought to this it's kind of interesting that again the circumstances surrounding it it took this death to kind of around this picture because come on you didn't want a film as astronomical as them fighting a tank like in the the end of the last film Mm -hmm. how weird would that have felt so they had to ground this somehow and i think they for the most part they kind of do dom sees a car with tinted windows driving on the outskirts of the cemetery presumably it's shaw good thing dom was right otherwise that would have been a very awkward conversation when they play that game of chicken and crash into each other which does happen so he realizes that shaw gets out of the car he's got chrome plated underneath his hood he's like what do you think this was going to be do you think this was going to be a street fight like of course i'm i'm here with a gun yeah it's like a reinforced chassis he's like oh it's like coming into a boxing match with weighted gloves all right. But we're so ripping on Vin Diesel's acting, and with good reason. But don't forget where this guy came from. Like, he started in a fucking Steven Spielberg Best Picture film. Sure. You know, like, and, I thought you were going to mention Street Shark commercials. 
<laughs> well, he really does have the chops to do something. You know, I mentioned he was in that City Lament courtroom drama. But man, like you, you get him in this type of environment, this blockbuster environment, and he's awful in this. I don't know if it's because he's sad over the death of his friend or whatever, but this has been him the entire franchise. <laughs> it almost seems like Vin Diesel's career was just leading up to his role in Guardians of the Galaxy. One word, not on screen, doesn't have much dialogue or doesn't have any dialogue and just has that great, deep Groot voice. I am Groot. And he's great with that line, and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Just when Shaw's about to presumably shoot Toretta pieces, the SWAT unit comes out of nowhere. Doesn't hit Deckard Shaw. He gets away. So these guys have the worst aim on the planet. Of course. You see someone get out of a car, and it's Snake fucking Pliskin. Yes. Yes. Now, Alex... Juan is around our age, and he grew up on everything the two of us have grown up on. Sure. I think in his mind, this is Snake Plissken after his final mission. You know, I kind of get that feeling. But you know what? I read something that was interesting. He Uh was not the first choice. Really? The first choice I read was Denzel Washington, and I could definitely see his role. Yeah, but I can see I that. I like Kurt Russell in this, though. I like Kurt Russell in anything. I really do. Sure. I, I, I think he's one of our forgotten action stars. He, he was kind of a one of those action stars from the 80s and 90s that he was kind of understated. I dig him a lot in this. It's not like he does anything astronomical in this that makes him stand out, but... Every scene he's in, I dig him a lot. Yeah, I mean, well, he was the action star, because we're fans of the guy. He was an action star before you had to be fucking buff and jacking steroids into your veins and shit. I mean, he's Uh a legitimate (laughs) fucking action star. I mean, he shows up with a smile, and you can't help but smile with him in every fucking scene. He's just Mm -hmm. so charismatic. Yeah, two of us, Alex. We covered him in Death Proof, and you know, kind of there was kind of a kind of a different direction his career took after that. And it was good seeing him back doing his action chops in this. Absolutely, man. And and just like the perfect role for him, too, is just like kind of like CIA spook, a nobody kind of uh, guy. You know, I'm nobody. Don't worry about it, which is weird yeah. because we have a fucking new movie out with Odenkirk on that same kind of thing. But uh, it was kind of weird. Kurt Russell at this point, this was kind of the first thing that kind of kicked off his resurgence, if what I can remember, because it wasn't too long after this. He was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Hateful Eight was this year. Mm hmm. He was getting back into the public consciousness as far as being in big movies. And you're right. He's got this very likable presence that kind of resonates. You know, he's not the hard ass kind of role. Like, you know, I think of the the guys in like the Lethal Weapon movies. He's yeah, very yeah, lackadaisical. Yeah. He's like, hey, you're going you know, to let go of my guy there. He's looking a little blue. Like, yeah. <laughs> just, it just kind of tells me that whoever is in that role just has to be likable and be friends with everybody. Because... At the end of the day, this guy is using... Everybody else is just pawns to him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's got to have a good relationship with everybody. So he takes Dom to his base in San Diego. And, of course, he's got a bucket full of Coronas waiting for him. Because he's read the the dossier. He knows that. (laughs) Garrett, what do you think about this product placement? (laughs) It's fucking weird, right? It's just... We've said our piece on Coronas. Let's do it. It's so gross. So Mr. Nobody gives Dom the spiel about the God's Eye, which is the, this is the knock list of this movie, where it is the, it's the MacGuffin, remarkable technology that possibly could not exist, where it can use everything with a camera to track somebody, so basically they cannot hide from anybody. Tells Dom that it was with this hacker by the name of Ramsey, and he's got to get it back before it falls in the wrong hands, so he tells him, you get Ramsey, I'll give you this tool to go hunt down Shaw, which my question would be, Shaw just shows up wherever we are, so why do I need this piece of equipment? Because, like... Oh, that's a really good point. It's not really needed. I, I don't think it's a problem with the movie. It just cracks me up that every scene, 
Deckard Shaw just shows up. And you know what? This was a chance to, like I said, just ground this story a little bit. And we did get a lot of the human element in the beginning portions. And I'll admit, after not really digging that last film, I'm like, okay, what can they do to actually win me back? And he's starting to win me back. And then after we reintroduce all the human elements, we go right back to the super spy shit. Vin Diesel's one step away from being his triple X character again in this. Like, (laughs) We're right back in that territory and once this story picks up, man, they're, they're starting to lose me. They're really it, starting to lose me because we have the God's Eye. We have this MacGuffin we'll be chasing. They're, we're going to have to fight Ronda Rousey later. This is all stuff that's like, <laughs> oh, oh, don't God. even get like, me started we're, on that. We're going right back to the, this fucking territory and it's starting to lose me. Can I tell you the difference, though, between this and why it doesn't bother me and this one, like it does in sex? Mm-hmm. This gives you justification for why these cars are so tricked out because they have access to all this government technology. So the cars are more durable. Mm-hmm. Um, they could probably drive a little bit faster. So I don't have as many issues with the plausibility components of this mission compared to what I did in the sixth one. And I find the characters in this one to be more likable. Like when Taj and Brian and Roman and Letty all show up and they're... Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Roman's actually funny in this one, which I he hasn't agree. been. I agree. Fuck. I no. do not want to agree with you, but I I, I do. Fuck. No. Bugs me. He's still Jar Jar in this. When he's on screen. Oh, I, I, he's still Jar Jar. There's a couple of moments specifically where I did laugh at a Roman thing. But in terms of these characters, I know we're not there yet, but they just have so many more skills than they did the previous movie. And you know I'm a sucker for a training montage. We don't see a fucking training montage. So, like, how did the fuck did they get these skills? Tej is, he's basically a John Wick fucking tech guy. And I don't know when that fucking happened, because if you look at him with a giant afro... In the, in the movies yeah. before, he's not that guy. No. When did that no. happen? He, he's Simon Pegg from Mission Impossible. He's yeah, yeah. But, but you know what? That's been the problem with this franchise since the beginning. They have so many assignments for these people that they are not – all they do is drive cars fast. Yeah. You know, we don't, we don't, they're not tech guys. They're not any of these people. They've been doing this since the beginning when they yeah. did change this into a super spy, let's go into uh, and rob a bank type stuff. This has been a, a problem the entire time, and it's still following them to this film. And it's just weird things that they choose to be consistent upon and other things that they don't. <laughs> It's it's just a yeah. weird fucking choice. Speaking of weird choices, they can't figure out how to get onto this mountaintop and intercept the convoy. So they decide to use parachutes to jump out of this uh, glorified jet in the air. They literally drop down onto the cliff. I can't believe this is nowhere near as ridiculous as what we've seen in the last couple of movies, which is kind of amazing. If you explain this to me, I'd be like, okay, that's, that's fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. But I, I can't quantify as to why it doesn't bother me. Yeah, maybe it's just the suspension of disbelief. You're already there. Who knows? Because <laughs> suspension. It, I mean, how, yeah. <laughs> fuck <laughs> off. But how durable and what kind of grade are these fucking parachutes to hold a one-ton vehicle? Yeah, it's just fucking yeah. crazy. If this were me, like I would be roaming up here in this. Like I would be freaking the fuck out in this in, in this entire instance. You know, from what I remember, this was the whole Super Bowl commercial them coming out of yeah. the plane like this and you know what i'm like you matt i don't have any problem with it either honestly you know we're going for spectacle mm-hmm. in this portion and th- this part more than we'll see later i kind of dug them coming out of this plane and yeah it was pretty cool now was this practical they didn't really drop these cars out did they <laughs> oh, God. like it's no yeah but the but the actual chase through the mountains that's all practical 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, that shit is um, crazy. I do kind of like the gag of once Roman is forced out of that plane, you kind of just see him like fucking <laughs> just waving just in the back. Yeah, wind. just hanging in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind right, of funny. Yeah, I, I take it Visual back. There are, there are a couple moments with Roman I did kind of dig. This was one of them. And that one <laughs> isn't just him. It's not him saying a line yeah. and then you laughing. Yeah. It's just the situation thing. Exactly. We get a chase through the mountains. You know, they're trying to intercept the convoy. The convoy's got armor-piercing rounds, so Tej's tricked-up jeep isn't really that effective. So it's up to Brian to sneak into the, the convoy. He intercepts Ramsey, but it's a woman, which hey. could have been the most obvious thing I would have expected. But hey, plus one for the diversity quota. Yes. Yeah, they're starting to fix the woman problem they have with this franchise, I think. And I don't know this actress's name. I know her from Game of Thrones. Natalie Emmanuel or Nathalie Emmanuel. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I, I like yeah, her a lot. I, I like her a lot in this, you know. Yeah, I followed her career and Instagram. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you really? I of thought, course. I don't know if it's because of the convoy setting, which reminds me of Deadpool 2. I thought it was Zazie Beats for some reason. Ah, okay. Uh, yeah. You know, Domino, but they're two separate people. So, Garrett, you're not the only person who can't distinguish between people of a certain skin. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but also we we talked about how this movie fixes a lot of problems i have with six one of which is that in the sixth film they beat up everyone they come across here brian gets his ass kicked by tony jaw as he should oh dude but brian has gotten his ass kicked he got his ass kicked last movie by the big dude yep he got his ass kicked in five also i mean he does get his ass kicked a lot but, mm. but that's only because he is the beta to dom's alpha that's all it is because spoiler alert dom doesn't lose <laughs> no no he never sees taillights yeah so brian gets ramsey throws her onto the front of dom's car so she gets in just fine you know at least he doesn't jump across a fucking highway to get her <laughs> yeah right <laughs> They learned their lesson about that. But before Brian can get out, he gets locked in by Tony Jaa, who this was his first American movie. Mm. One of the great martial artists and fight sure. choreographers out there. If you've seen the Onbok mm-hmm. movies, among other things. And we get, if you've seen Death Sentence, the way that Kevin Bacon's character gets out of his car as it's falling off the top of the mall parking lot. Yes. Is very similar to how Brian jumps from the bus to the edge of this cliff. So... Juan's, you know, he's pulling from his past movies just on a bigger scale. Yeah, and, and Tony Jaa gets a great line off as he leaves the, the semi, or, or the bus, I'm sorry. Um, this is a fucking tense scene, man. Garrett, you, you spoke about the heights problem. I mean, this is, oh, yeah, this is rough, it's man. Ridiculous. I did see this in theaters, and I had to look away. Like, yeah. if this was 3D, I would have been fucked. Yeah, man, um, it, it's, yeah, it's this fucking was, great. This was my favorite part of the movie. It's remarkable. Oh, nice, the, man. The way nice. he builds this. What's not nice is if you're who has been unfortunately typecast over the last decade as the mercenary slash henchman for the big bad. Let's see. This, The Island, Guardians of the Galaxy. What was that movie with Chris Evans? Push. He plays the same role in every fucking movie he's in lately. You got a Bond villain with Jason Statham henchman. Mm-hmm. So we think Dom's fucked. You know, he's cornered. Even Mr. Nobody's saying he's got nowhere to go. And he goes, you might want to put on your helmet. And he drives the car off the cliff, flips over numerous times. She's wearing a helmet. He's wearing nothing. No protection. <laughs> but he he's totally okay. Just put some dirt in it and walk it off, apparently. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> And he's got no scars. He's got no broken bones. Mm-mm. Like, it's it's the power of the Dom because Hobbs falls out of a building, breaks his arm. Brian gets his ass kicked. 
Dom, always fine. Always fine. And meanwhile, his uh, companion, literally in the same vehicle with a fucking helmet on, probably has a concussion. Yeah. Knocked out, probably has a concussion. Dom, eh, shrug your shoulders a little bit, stretch it out. (laughs) Brush it off your shoulder. Exactly. Because she wakes up, they're they're at a isolated area. She says, "Oh, I don't have the God's Eye. I, I gave it to a friend to hold on to it for safekeeping." So now we, we got to do a detour to the Abu Dhabi travel section of your Skyline magazine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is for this movie what the Burj Khalifa sequence is for Ghost Protocol. We're in the desert, and we're going to do crazy shit from Paul Bilbicks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the main characters is going to fight a blonde woman. Yeah, and the government oh, yeah. of Abu Dhabi, they welcome this shit. They want to show <laughs> off the entire city. They want to show off the skyline. They want to show off how yeah. rich they are. They want to show off all the beautiful mm-hmm. asses that are on the beaches and everything. It's amazing. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of beautiful women. I mean, it doesn't move, but, you know, I get the appeal. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. Understood. It doesn't move. <laughs> So Ramsey introduces them to our contact. He says, oh, I gave it to this prince who put it in his car, which he keeps in a safe. And I love how Brian's like, why does he keep his car in a safe on the top floor of his penthouse? He's got a point. Why would you keep it in a fucking yeah, it's safe? Yeah, it's just a very, it's a very small moment of self-awareness that Chris Morgan yeah. has here. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's all it is. What am I doing? Oh, yeah. Let's just keep going. Yeah, this reminds me a lot of Mission Impossible when they sneak in. Everyone's oh, got a different assignment. Tej is Benji with Ramsey. You know, they're yeah. on tech mm-hmm. duty. Dom and Brian have to break in. They realize Roman is useless and just make him the distraction. And I love Tej's line where he's like, oh, no, not the birthday routine. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> oh, he's the worst. Fucking. Oh, yeah, but the movie at least so acknowledges he really doesn't have purpose outside of just name recognition. I guess you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But just, um, just like, because and, you acknowledge it doesn't make it better. That's true. That's my point. That's true too. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. And Letty went to. She plugged herself into the Matrix apparently and learned kung fu. <laughs> Dude, this is what I'm saying about this fucking movie. Everybody can kick so much ass. When did this happen? I guess when you get a ma- amnesia, you just you turn into a fucking mercenary and you have all. Yeah, I guess Shaw taught her some stuff when. She was working for him. But, you know, this is what you're talking about with Letty. Juan's using a lot of quick cuts, those circular Mm -hmm. shots. Yep. But Letty takes on three experienced bodyguards. And the second movie in a row, she fights a UFC champion. Ah. The last film was Gina Carano. This one is Ronda Rousey. That's right. Fresh off Expendables 3. She has one line and cannot deliver it to save uh, That delivery is so bad. It's so bad. It's really bad. It. Matt, you and I, as we record this, we had just released the Happening podcast, and I got Mark Wahlberg from the Happening Vibes from this line <laughs> delivery. It was really bad. What? No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's that level kind of shit. Absolutely. It's horrible. Yeah. yeah, she's made four or five movies, and she's sucked in all of them. Mm. She has not made that transition that, say what you want about Gina Carano, at least she's shown in The Mandalorian she could deliver lines. So they fight. Of course, Letty wins because I guess she has the diesel contract. Uh, <laughs> and Dom has super strength because he literally lifts up the car for Brian to flim around. And I love how they're driving it. And as I said, Deckard Shaw just shows up, guns a-blazing. He knew exactly where they were. So uh-huh. what's the point of the God's eye? Yeah, that's what I thought. 
Here's the thing I was thinking, too. Every time he shows up and Brian's in the picture, when Brian's driving, I don't know if we've passed the scene yet, but when he's driving and then there's a missile trailing Brian's car, we don't know whether he's going to get out or not. Did you, either of you guys think the first time you saw this that maybe this is how they're going to kill him? Maybe he would. this is how he would leave the franchise and basically be written out as him being killed in the line of duty? I kind of thought that. Of course, he gets out in time, but like we mentioned earlier, there's that Grim Reaper. It's just hovering over this movie. Every scene he's in, are they going to kill him? Are they not going to kill him? What's, what are they going to do here? Yeah, I kind of thought that they were going to kill him off in this film. And honestly, it might have been a better way to go than what we got. Yeah. But Yeah, well, it adds artificial tension. Oh, yeah, as, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Positive. It's manipulative, but they really didn't have an option. So Tom's like, shit, no brakes. And they drive a car from one building to another. And this is like the 10th most absurd thing we have seen at this point. But like by this time, you're like, okay, <laughs> because we've seen crazier and this car gets destroyed when it falls out of the other side. So it's not like it's impervious. Although Dom and Brian are, because they should be like, <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to describe. I don't even think you could list the amount of injuries they would have. Yeah. Th- this is one of those scenes that I remember specifically watching in the theater. And I remember the moment because I felt like the car falling from such a height and hitting the ground. Like, I felt it in my chest in the theater. I mean, it it was just such a hard-hitting fucking moment. And also just absolutely ridiculous. And I fucking loved it. I mean, how... Talk about spectacle. Driving a car from one building to another to another is just absolutely fucking ridiculous mm-hmm. just just absolutely fucking ridiculous did it did that uh <laughs> did it land for you garrett uh you know what i was going with the spectacle at this point okay you know, they've they've done enough where we're seeing him go to his son daddy's got to go to work now so i know he's going into this astronomical situation from the human element that we've had in this entire film and him driving in this i i was kind of going with it is it stupid yeah but seeing the spectacle of it i mm-hmm. i was kind of going for going nice. with it okay if this is the point where you start saying, well, that just doesn't make any sense. You yeah. picked the wrong franchise to, to do that way. Like, yeah, and, ah. and also, why are you seven movies in and finally saying that? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know? But, but you know, we talked about that with the last one, though. There's a point you can lose people even despite your absurdity. Yeah, Here, even with the ridiculousness. They, they do that. That's a yeah. good point, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Once per podcast, we always say, that didn't make any sense. We haven't said that yet in this movie, which means the three of us are at least having a little bit of a good time. Oh, good point, good point. They all come back. They have the God's eye. He gives it to Mr. Nobody. And as part of the agreement, he says, let's go track down Shaw. So Ramsey plugs it in. Dom says, no, I'm going by myself. To which Brian says, the hell you are. And they go to this warehouse, and Shaw is just sitting there in Blofeld-esque fashion, just eating a steak like he knew they were going to come. Mm-hmm. And I love his line, too, because it, it kind of harkens back to something you said, Garrett. I love his line. He's like, is this all I warrant? Yeah. <laughs> so he pings a grenade, leaves it on the table, and turns out he's got the entire, Jakandi's entire mercenary group working with him at this point. They ambush him. Mr. Nobody gets shot. Thankfully, Kurt Russell makes it out of this movie alive. So we're going to mm-hmm. see him later on. Here's where you you know you get a shootout in the dark. At least you can tell what's happening. You know it's not a great shootout. We've seen better, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it almost seemed like they spent a lot of the energy on that highway, the first bus yeah. hijacking thing, as opposed to this one and and the next final mission. Yeah. yeah. Well, the final mission. It's literally you know we talk about things going full circle. Started in L.A., going to end in L.A. Oh God. 
and this is where the Ryan absence is noticeable because if you notice, all of his lines are said off camera mm-hmm. when they're all standing there, look overlooking, you know, the LA skyline. You know, all of his lines are said offline, presumably by his brothers, who apparently sound very close to him. Mia calls Brian, tell him, you know, this is it. And when I heard this, I was like, oh, he's gonna, they're gonna kill him off. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. And she plays the, oh, by the way, a pregnant card. <laughs> right. <laughs> Three months in, not even showing. But yes, she says, oh, they know what sex it is. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Exactly, yeah. There's wind blowing. She's like blowing in the wind. She's that light. It's like, what the fuck are you talking? (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So speaking of blowing in the wind, as we saw, Dom's entire house was destroyed. Except for his garage and the car. I know. What what is this about, man? Come on. It's the power of family. That, I, I think that, that, <laughs> Shut I, up! <laughs> I thought the big twist was going to be like Christine, where his father's essence was in the car. Save it, Matt. Save it. But yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's fucking hilarious. That is so fucking <sighs> funny. And he goes, one one last ride. Datham gets in his car. Dom gets his black, I don't know, death machine. It was Dodge. That's basically what it is at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Dom's like, I'm going to go fight Shaw myself, so the rest of you have to protect Ramsey. So they use the God's Eye to hack into Jakande's helicopter. And it turns out, when he says, release the Predator, I was like, oh, God, this will be the greatest crossover in movie oh. history if, if the fucking pred- if the Predator that. showed right. up. Because let's be honest, isn't Predator 2 in Los Angeles? Yes, yep. it is. Uh-huh. See, if Danny Glover or Gary Busey showed up, I would lose my fucking mind. So now we have a drone, which, again is not the most ridiculous thing we've seen up to this point. I kind of like this drone, too, to be honest I with you I did, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, they're calling back to the first one where he's driving underneath a 12, a four-wheeler. Yeah, yeah. He, doesn't Brian say something about that, too? He's like, we're going yeah. old school. He says, like, oh, I've done this before. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We're going old school. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's just pretty cool where, they're, you know, they're driving around, basically playing keep away from the drone. And Hobbs sees all this madness going. He goes, oh, it's got to be Toretto. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Daddy's got to go to work. And in one of the greatest moments in movie history, the rock flexes out of a goddamn cat. <laughs> I love it. Well, they set it up earlier because they showed the Incredible Hulk on the TV. So, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of dug this, man. Hey, look, if Dom can be a superhero in this, so can the fucking Rock. Definitely. You know, if anyone's fit to be it, it'd be him. I, I fucking when I was in theaters, this was the closest I came to fucking cheering was this moment right here, and there was a lot of clapping when it happened. When I knew my, it. I was watching this with my wife, and my wife loves silly action movies the dumber the butter she just loves them as i said before on this podcast she loves the cranked franchise i know it's only two movies but she loves that she's been loving every one of these for different reasons just the whole spectacle of it she likes the spectacle when he flexes out of the cast she punched me multiple times and was screaming like holy fuck that's awesome It it was such a great moment in this household yeah, I let mine out of the cage long enough to watch this one. She watched wow. this with me Good as well. You. This is the first one she's watched with me. And she was clapping at this, too. She'd never seen it. It was a pretty cool moment. Alex, we may have to call the cops now based on what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that line from Guardians of the Galaxy. I can't tell if you're joking or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, him flexing out of cast. I turned to my buddy because I saw this with, speaking of morbid circumstances, I was about to graduate from college in a month. And I was in fraternity, so I have my own family. We all saw it together. When the rock flexed out of that cast, all of us looked at each other like, oh, my God. How has nobody ever done this in a movie before? Yeah. So Daddy Dom shows up 
for his rematch with Shaw. Mm-hmm. Second game of chicken, and Dom sort of turns the tables where he starts out, pulls out a pipe, and he pulls out a sawed-off shotgun, goes the callback of, oh, you do think this was going to be a street fight? Sure enough, it is. And these two just bald sp- specimens have almost a lightsaber battle with these they pipes. Do. Yeah. Yeah. I compared it to a life-saving battle in my notes. And I did like the uh, riding the door down the flight of steps and fighting. I thought that was a cool moment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That was pretty cool. But am I the only one, guys, who thought this went a little too long? No, you're right. It's a bit long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The one thing that Juan likes in this film that I, you know, I kind of like too, just for the cinematic presentation of this spectacle, is the wide shot of the two sides coming together. He does it with the chicken moments in the cars. And then he does it once they get out of the car and they both have like their pipes and whatever the fuck. And they, mm-hmm. they run at each other and they jump and they clash. It's just kind of a ridiculous moment that I really like to chew on. Speaking of absurdity, because God knows we haven't talked about that with this franchise. So in the midst of all this, Hobbs finally reappears using the chain gun of a helicopter. Uses it to shoot down another helicopter. Matt, come on. You're not putting it together, dude. You already mentioned Predator. This is Jesse Ventura in Predator. This is this oh, is oh, you are right. And, this yeah, is Roadblock and G.I. Joe. That's exactly what Juan's going for here. It was glorious, man. When he came out, I was expecting, like, if we hadn't heard the Hans Zimmer little theme for Wonder Woman during Wonder Woman, <laughs> I would have pictured it for during this moment. Like, this was fucking awesome. Yeah, this is it. awesome. He, he just picks it up. And what, it, it's a very small detail, but I do like that it's not a clean chain gun either it's not a it's not a clean gatling nope. gun it's still like trailing like wires and shit because mm-hmm. he fucking ripped it off it's just a very cool realistic detail that i appreciated yes we said the words realism in a fast and furious movie ladies and gentlemen <laughs> and had to do with a fucking chain gun who knew yeah <laughs> so Shakandi's shooting where shaw and dom are fighting and as the ground starts to crumble, Super Dom strikes again, oh, says God. a line about the streets always My win, Fucking stomps God. on the asphalt that is crumbling, and Shot tumbles into a like a cavalcade. I, I was going with the ending of this so much, and when that happened, I had to pause the movie because I was like, what the fuck? Just, did I just see what I thought I saw? It, Him do the Incredible Hulk stomp? And, it's just amazing that you can have Hobbs show up in just a couple of scenes and have really great lines and have them be really impactful. And then you have a showstopper of a line from Vin Diesel, Daddy Dom, the streets always win. And it's the most ridiculous, fucking cheesy, stupid, really put on line in the whole movie. It's just fucking, oh, God, he's terrible. Someone like like Arnold, someone like Stallone, hell, someone like The Rock can make this work. Yes. Yeah, with a little bit of charisma. I mean, Uh you don't have to read it the way fucking somebody wrote it. Figure mm-hmm. something on that. Oh, the streets. Oh, oh, come on. And now they're tying in the whole, like, you thought this was a street fight. It is a street fight. Uh, the streets always win. Oh, come on. Shut the fuck mm-hmm. up. And they don't win because Shaw survives. And yeah. It's, <laughs> it doesn't it's so matter fucking, anyway. It's so dumb. Yeah. The Shaw brothers are indestructible. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're like Doomsday where whatever doesn't, whatever kills them, they cannot be killed by that ever again. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of getting killed, Hobbs, basically there's a very conspicuous bag of grenades just hanging on the end of the helicopter that Hobbs shoots with one bullet. He, pull, he pulls a James Bond from Spectre where he takes down a helicopter with one bullet. 
So it blows up, and Dom, to do the finishing touches, gets in his Dodge, drives it into the helicopter, but crashes and is presumed dead for all 30 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and this is where we get the big reveal, right? Now, again, I'm going to ask for logic. When did they get married? Why is he wearing a wife beater to a wedding? So point two is because he's he's Italian. And and point A is they must have been married during four before she quote unquote gets killed. Okay. Because it looks like that tropical place they were staying Uh, after they committed that, those those heists. But as astronomical and as unbelievable as this is, Alex, we can finally put to bed that she has amnesia. Mm -hmm. We are finally done with that storyline. And I'm so happy. Yeah. She just kind of accepts everything, I guess. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about just really quick, because he didn't have a lot of scenes, as we've mentioned. Dwayne Johnson shows up. The Hobbs shows up. Oh, I almost said the Hobbs. The Hobbs shows up. (laughs) And it's when Ramsey and Letty are in the same car, and they're in dire straits, and fucking Hobbs shows up with the fucking rail gun, and Ramsey's like, is that the Calvary? And then Hobbs is like, woman? I am the I am the coward. Oh, my God. Are you fucking kidding me? Again, effortlessly delivers an amazing yes. line that makes sense, that's funny, it's hilarious. That one line, you can fucking take all of Hobbs' lines out of this and just keep that one line. It's better than anything Dom has ever said in the past seven movies. Absolutely. It's fucking, this guy is amazing for this franchise. And the fact that Daddy Don or Vin Diesel, Daddy Vin Diesel, uh, no, he's not Daddy Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel is, is getting into a fucking ego bust with this dude is just absolutely ridiculous. It's so fucking stupid. But he's okay, as we find out. I don't know, I guess they changed his batteries or something and he got up because I'm pretty sure he's been a Terminator this entire series. <laughs> But the day's been saved. Shaw, as I mentioned, survived. Hobbs puts him in this, like, Magneto prison. (laughs) I love how he says, like, trust me. Yeah, you can dig out of there all you want. But as soon as you get out, my foot is going to be up your ass the second you get out. (laughs) So start digging, boy. (laughs) Start digging. Oh, he's the fucking greatest. So then we get to the big big moment at the end of the movie. They're all sitting on the beach. They're watching Brian and Mia. And you could tell that this was shot towards the end of the shoot, obviously after Paul Walker had died, mm-hmm. because they all, it's very self-reflective when he said, like, he's where he belongs right now, and they're not cracking jokes. So Dom gets up and drives away. <laughs> Brian pulls up beside him, says, thought you couldn't leave without saying goodbye. And we get a nice no. little montage to, to no, send this off. Is, this is Carrie Fisher in Rogue One who pulls up beside him. This was when the visual effects that you mentioned, Alex, come to play for me. Like this oh, is yeah, when yeah. it, it yeah. becomes quite obvious. Sure. This is Carrie Fisher from Rogue One. This is bad. He was looking at him like the way he was looking at Eva Mendez in the second movie when they were driving in that awful staring contest. Right, right. I didn't like this moment. I don't don't like it either. And yeah, like we said, there were plenty of instances previously in, in, in the movie that you can tell that it was digitally enhanced or digitally put in there. They just chose like the probably the worst facial expressions to pull from because he doesn't because Brian doesn't look happy at all. He just, they're weird expressions. I mean, when he looks over, it's just very strange. I don't like it, man. It just kind of rubs me the wrong way. You know, when it, when it happened initially, when I first watched it initially in the theater, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little teary-eyed because, you know, they're setting up a whole thing. I've been on this fucking roller coaster of a ride over seven movies. I don't think Paul Walker is a fucking great actor, but still, it's a, I'm 
this is my humanity speaking. So I'm I'm just a little little verklempt, little verklempt while watching this mm-hmm. in the theater. But watching this now in present day, it it takes me out of it a little bit because yeah. one, the ride makes no sense. This last scene makes zero fucking sense. And I know they wanted to do a tribute. I know they wanted to make that tribute be the last race, the final race of the film that they do all the time between Brian and Dom. I don't think it works. I think it's terrible. We're on the beach. Everyone's looking at Brian and Mia and Jack having a great time. And then Dom just leaves. Dom just fucking leaves. I think there are a hundred more ways that you could make that last scene have the emotional impact but make the delivery of that be better. And this isn't one of them. I think this is terrible because it, it comes out of nowhere and it just makes no sense. No. And even Roman's like, you're not going to say goodbye. And he just turns around and goes in his car. And then we, we just cut to this. Like you, Alex, I understand they want to do a tribute. And I get that. They had a song written for this particular moment. You know, this was dedicated to Paul Walker. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work for me either. It, it just really doesn't. And, you know, we get the crossroads at the end. Like, why didn't you just fucking pick Bone Thugs and Harmony Crossroads if this is what you're going to do? Oh, dude, uh, that is a better fucking movie. Boo. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I love that. It, it doesn't work for me either. You're right. In hindsight, maybe six, seven years ago, it would have worked. You know, when I saw this in theaters, look, I wasn't really connected to this franchise. I was just kind of waiting for it to end because at this point, we're over two hours and 15 minutes this movie. And so I was like, I was kind of feeling the length and I was just kind of waiting for it to end. I didn't have a connection. But even though I have had this connection and I have been more endeared to Paul Walker as we've gone through this retrospective, it didn't work for me at all. It worked for me, but I'm a weak-minded son of a bitch apparently because I cried. <laughs> Wow. Even this time, you cried at watching it? Yeah, well, not wow. not like seeping wet, no, no. but I thought the montage component was a surprisingly nuanced way for them to pull this off. I agree with you. The context of everything building up to it is questionable, but I think the actual payoff and the last thing is for Paul really kind of spelt finality for this series for me. I, I think this definitely could have been the last one because um, yeah. everything yeah. got tied up. You know, they got their amnesty at the end of six. They did their one last mission. True. That was forced upon them. And now they get to enjoy the fruits of their labor and like live their lives. But I guess when your movie makes $1.5 billion, the gravy train ain't going to stop. Yeah. yeah. But before we get to that, we have to conclude our discussion of this one. So, boys, I'm kind of scared to say who wants to go first because last time I did, I got yelled at. So, <laughs> so I'm going to play nice and say, Garrett, I'll go to you first. On a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give Furious 7? All right. So... I had mentioned at the end of the last film, I just felt dehydrated after the last movie. Mm. Um, I just felt exhausted and angry, and I was so dehydrated. This movie gives me enough water to stay alive. And uh, after this was over, I turned to my chick, and Alex, this is why I think we should get a show where all our chicks are on together or something, because I asked her, I said, what do you think? And she said, well, cars went vroom, bombs went boom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and I, I can't agree with her more. For what this movie was, I went with it. It's no secret. I have not been a huge fan of this franchise. I think my average score of this franchise has been maybe a four or five. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it just hasn't been high. But James Wan did what he could here. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, he was given a Herculean task. No, uh, no pun intended with The Rock in this. But he was given a Herculean task, and every stumbling block was put his, in his way. And he came out of it pretty well. And, you know, he's gone on. To, he's done superhero films. He's going to do another horror film this year. 
he has made a hell of a career out of himself. And this was a really good turning point for him. What this movie accomplished for me was I am looking forward to watching Hobbs and Shaw. As I mentioned in the first podcast, I, ne- I have never seen that movie. I know Statham's in it. I'm not a big fan of Statham in this. I'm, I put my eggs in that basket. But as a fan of The Rock and what he does in this movie, I am kind of looking forward to watching that one for the very first time for this series. As far as this movie goes, look, there's no secret. The script is not much better. They did improve the Brian storyline a bit, given what they were given. But the end of it still suffers. I think there are some moments in this that you still groan and say, come on, guys, you can't do anything better. But still, I had a better time with this than I have in previous films. I'll give this the same score I gave three. I'll go ahead and go seven. Seven out of ten for uh, Theory of Seven. I think Juan holds his end up to the deal up. And even though we have egos out of control and Dom is still being Dom, I had a pretty decent time with this. So seven out of ten for Theory of Seven. Wow. Nice. Seven out of ten for number seven. Alex, what about you, sir? You know, I, I, I do like James Wan's addition to this. I just like having a uh, an established director. I mean, we, we went through his filmography having new blood in this and then Matt you you kind of detailing the exhaustion that Lynn had with this franchise kind of made sense I thought Statham as Deckard Shaw in this it was great always been a uh, big Statham guy so seeing him in a big spectacle franchise as the big bad is pretty good for me and I like his character as an agent of chaos like I said I mean he he has no allegiance to anybody but his but revenge, and I like that. Somebody who has apparently a bunch of resources to tap into and is not a good or a bad guy, but is just has a personal vendetta, I think is fantastic for this franchise because, you know, they're not pulling for either side, so I think that's fucking cool. The Paul Walker stuff is, like we said earlier, there's a lot of stuff in this that, that could have been cut out in terms of the leaning on no more funerals, things like that. It, it just seemed like if Walker passed early on in the development stage, you can take that shit out of the fucking script. It's just too morbid. And then Hobbs. Hobbs is great. I think he's probably, outside of uh, Fast Five, this is his second best showing so far. He's used perfectly, and apparently that just comes down to scheduling issues and whatnot, but he's just used perfectly here. I like everything. I, I've always liked everything about this movie. For the most part, I have fond memories of it, seeing it, in, seeing it in the theater with Kupka and us acting like neither of us fucking shed a couple of tears after it as we were drinking our beers after <laughs> after watching the movie at the bar. <laughs> and yeah, like like I said, I've always had fond memories of this and re-watching it a, a couple of times and then again seeing it with my wife was, was great because she was just a, a big cheerleader of big spectacle movies, which is awesome. And then also, while watching this, as I give my rating, Matt, you you kind of creeped in my head in terms of saying that the odd films, odd number films in this franchise are the better ones. And I think you're totally right. This is an 8 on 10 for me. 6 wasn't great. 5 was great. 4 is not great. 3 is better. 1 is good just because it's the first. Not good as in real good, but 2 is shit. So I I think these odd number films in this franchise are great, man. So I'll leave it at that. Great is how I'd describe this movie within the confines of this franchise. Absolutely. Given what James Wan had in front of him, as if this this production wasn't hard enough to get the you know the curveball of losing one of your principal actors for 80% of the shoot caused, I'm sure, tremendous amount of sleepless nights on his part. But all things being considered, if you're a fan of this franchise, 
which two of the three of us on the show are. I don't think there's many that are better than this. I think this and five are pretty close. And I'm going to give it the same score I gave five because really the only knock I have on it as a Fast and Furious movie is that the entire Abu Dhabi sequence is unnecessary and probably could have been cut from the overall movie. She could have just had the God's Eye and not felt the need to go somewhere else. Or if you needed it, you could have worked it into the climax of the movie. They have to get it from the bad guys. I'm going to go 8.5 on 10 on this because I I think I like this one the most of the three of us. Nice. Um, So I think up to this point, if you ask me pick between 5 and 7, I'd probably pick 7, but I think they're both pretty high up there. Speaking of high up there, that's what the expectations were like for the next one. Woo. And whew, James Wan was not going to do it because he, he was already committed to Aquaman. So who do you get? You go from Justin Lin to James Wan. Well, those Friday movies were really popular. Let's get that guy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he did the Italian job, the remake. So he yep. had a little bit of accent chops at this point. But another odd choice, for sure. Very odd choice. Almost as odd as the title when i read that was announced the fate of the furious <laughs> i was like okay the, the titles of this franchise have consistency is not their strong point no and i have a lot to say about my thoughts going into that movie but i'll save it for next week um, but boys I'll, I'll open the floor to you alex starting with you mm-hmm. you know you were very high on this one were you yeah. were you interested and one after this, or did you feel like they were just trying to draw blood from a stone? Honestly, I'm not a huge fan of sequels and franchises to begin with. I have a couple, of course, like everybody else does. But um, for me, if we're seven iterations into this franchise and one of the main players is dead and they've already forced a lot of CGI performances from his which is kind of fucking weird. They're just like digitally propping up his old bones, which is fucking just morbid in my eyes. But I thought it, I, I, I'm like, all right, I'm done. I, I don't need to see anything else. So fate in the fear, fate in the furious. What a fucking dumb name. But um, that comes up. I have zero expectations. And if anything, like, I just don't want to see it. Like, I feel like I've already gotten everything I could from this franchise that keeps pulling me back in. Garrett, what about you? Ah, well, uh, Alex kind of said it for me. Where where do you go after an ending like this? Where do you go after you have your two characters who you followed, six of the seven of the movies, go in different directions? We go to the Fate and the Furious. Now, I had seen all of these except for Hobbs and Shaw. I was half right about that. I have seen half of this movie. I DVR'd it for some reason. It was one night. I, it was the beginning of my weekend. I laid down to watch this. And I fell asleep halfway in and I never finished it. So I'll be watching the second half of this movie for the very first time. And I think it says something where I never bothered finishing it. So this will be my first time. I have zero expectations, but Charlie Theron was coming off the huge success of the Mad Max Furiosa character. And I was kind of anxious to see what they would do with her. Other than that, I have zero expectations again, because I know this is one of the least received of the franchise. So Hmm. uh, we'll see. We'll see next week. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see where you guys fall on it. All things being equal, I was definitely curious. and There were some things in the trailer that intrigued me. But my big question was, what else can you do? Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't ask that question with this franchise because God knows they'll, they'll keep making these until death won't stop them as they have proven. So, boys, pleasure as always. We only got three more shows to go. 
assuming the new one comes out on time, which all indications are saying yes. Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed. So until next time, boys, where we talk about the fate of the furious. I don't have friends. I got podcasts. Thanks, guys. Peace. Which one of these things is a dollar? It says something about the house. Yeah. Back in ancient times, I want to know what those replacement hips. Is that a swatch watch? Do you know what time it is? The Binge Aftertaste is produced by Garrett and Matt. It don't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Winning's winning. Swinging on the green like I'm trying to get a paw for. You ain't sitting at my table, hope you starve. Hold on, we pushing my buttons as you starting on my car. Pressure making diamond, that pressure make me a star. Got a method to my madness to bring me down by the bar. People always asking me how I got this far. I don't have the tuna. No crust. No crust. So now we got cars flying in the air on some 007 type shit? This is not what we do. I feel like the sky is falling down. Ain't nobody here to play around. Push it to the edge, I won't back down. Cause it's time to go on and go home. One way up, no way out. I give it all, all for the family. We stay up, no bailouts. Voice narration done by Adam. Edited by Garrett. You know what DK stands for? Donkey Kong. Drift King. That could have been my forehead, man. Nah, that's not as big as your forehead. I used to say I live my life a quarter mile at a time. And I think that's why we were brothers. Because you did too. Give it all, all for the family. We stay up, no bailouts. Give it all, all for the family. For the family. All for the family. Family, family, family. in this i don't know if it's because he's sad over the death of his friend or whatever but this has been him the entire franchise i don't yeah, know I you just... can't use the excuse of paul walker's death no i i was i was just trying to freestyle <laughs> <laughs> it almost seems like dom gets his black i don't know death machine it was dodge that's basically what it is at this point yeah pretty much yeah. Might as well be a hearse.
<laughs> Not for that reason, you morbid oh, son of a bitch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that you was, caught me off guard with that That was amazing. <laughs> But as astronomical and as unbelievable as this is, Alex, we can finally put to bed that she has asthma. They, she doesn't anymore. And you know what? Anything Amnesia, that you that mean? Out, asthma. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You confused me. Sorry. Let me say that line again. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, that's staying in. We can finally put to bed that she has amnesia. You've been listening to the Binge Media Podcast Network at BingeMedia.net. Support the show by donating on Patreon at Patreon.com slash BingeMedia. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And don't forget... Shut up! I'm wasted. <laughs>